Welcome to Above the Mess, the podcast where we bounce between our interests, dive down rabbit holes, navigate our brains, and come up in wonderland. I am Izzy Miller, and with me is Maddie Van Houten. Hey, Izzy. <laughs> I'm back. You're back. Finally, we had so much trouble scheduling so many things, but you're back now and it's fine. Everything's fine. Being in the same time zone helps. <laughs> I have moved thousands of miles across the country and I only had to drive it twice. Only twice. Not a big deal. Only twice. <laughs> it's like three days of driving if you do it quickly. Mm-hmm. It, it was a lot. But I have successfully moved from Texas to upstate New York. No, further upstate than that. Y- you keep going. Yeah, you're in Canada. You're in the right place. Still in New York, but... It's like, I, what, like a five-minute boat ride across some water and then you're in Canada? A little longer than that, but not much longer. Totally. I-, I could swim it. Not legally, but... Shh. I'm just like trying to think how they would catch you doing Um, that. Do they have Coast Guard? So I know they do <laughs> catch people. There's... Because... My dad used to work as curator at the Antique Boat Museum in Clayton, New York. Uh-huh. And he would have a thing where every so often he would get a call from the Coast Guard because the boat museum had a program where if you donated a sufficient sum of money, you could use some of the museum fleet they had designated for that use. And sometimes people would take those boats and go get lunch in Canada. And sometimes those people would forget to check in with border control. And so my dad would sometimes get a phone call being like, hey, we've got your boat again. And he'd be like, I mean, okay, so here's my question. Why don't we, with Canada, just have a thing like the EU has where you can just cross borders and it's Oh, I have opinions about the way we control our borders here in the United States. I mean, I do too. This is just my question. Like, why uh, we share a land border. Like, one of the longest. Actually, I think it is the longest land border in the world between two countries. I think so, unless you count, like, Russia's border with, like, a lot of countries. But, like, the longest border between the same two countries. Yes, I think. My geography is great. My geography is also great. I'm trying to decide if the border between Russia and China... Well, is it... There's not even a There's not even a border between Russia and China, is there? Let me look. Yeah, there is. Isn't there something in between them, though? Look at me needing to look at a map of the world. <laughs> Mongolia is what I was thinking of. <laughs> right, oh but God. there's part of the China border that does touch Russia. Mongolia doesn't cover the entire thing. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to figure out if the... See, it uh, doesn't matter. You know what? It doesn't matter. I I cannot express this enough. We don't need to know the answer to this question. But if anybody does know off the top of their head... <laughs> anyway, so people get yeah. caught with your dad's museum's boats or got caught. He, does he still work there? No, okay, not anymore. That's, that's what I thought. But, but still. Either way. <laughs> uh, we're staying with a family friend here, um, which has resulted in a new favorite sentence I've had to say. Hold on. I've got to go feed the foxes first. Oh, my gosh. You're feeding foxes? Because we're, I am. We're staying with family friends who are photographers for National Geographic. And one of the things they do is they've got trail cameras that they test and have um, they teach kids how to use them. <gasps> so every day they put out kibble for the foxes and the raccoons to keep like a steady supply of willing participants at hand. Right. And so while we're here, we're going out each day with kibble and the foxes come out of the woods and they're super cute. And there's gray ones and there's red ones. And <laughs> the raccoons, there's a whole family of them. I've seen like 10 raccoons pop out of the woods all at the same time. And oh my goodness, it's the cutest thing. They're like, we got to go out and get some dinner. Like Everybody hop in the car. <laughs> Time to get the kibble. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I know they're they're not actually driving, but anyway, I'm just imagining them having like a little conversation. Like, it's time to go out for dinner tonight. Let's go. <laughs> Sounds about right. We we do need to have a raccoon road safety course because Yeah. Unfortunately they they don't understand. And I would very much like to teach them because they deserve to understand. I have the same but. opinions about our local gophers. They stand way too close to the road while they're munching on their leaves, Izzy. And I just need to talk to them and be like, yo. <laughs> anyway, so I get you. Um, I just need to backtrack and say, that is really cool that you know people who take photos for National Geographic. Like, really, really cool. <laughs> like, really cool. It's it's pretty awesome. They're really cool people. I'm not going to name them because I don't want to yeah. like throw that onto the internet, but 
They're super cool. I'm super appreciative they're letting us stay here. We're only here for a little bit longer. We're moving again soon. Um, it's middle of September right now, and I'm moving again by the end of the month. Um, I mentioned, I think, that we're working on a house. It is, of course, not ready again. But, you know, it's renovations. Like, what a surprise. It's not ready again. Yeah. it's Reno- Renovations um, never end on time, so that makes sense. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so my parents bought this house. Right. And it was entirely gutted. We're basically building the entire. Re- we're basically rebuilding the entire interior from scratch. Um, Wait, we did your parents gut it, or you bought it gutted? We bought it gutted. Okay, that's okay. So th- this this other couple had bought the house, and the guy was doing the restoration himself um, as a retirement project, but. It was a pediddling project. So he like stripped out the interior and he like, he did the windows and he did the windows again. And then he did a bunch of other stuff, but like he kept redoing stuff instead of making progress. It was very strange. And eventually he died and the wife sold the place, which yeah. is okay. when we got it. And we, we went in there and was like, oh, there's, there's nothing done. So, which we knew going into it and yeah, having it gutted in a lot of ways is convenient because you then don't have to gut it yourself. Yeah, and you can, like, make decisions about the interior that you wouldn't otherwise be able to make if you were, like, dealing with walls that were still there. Like, you know, it's one thing to renovate a bathroom that doesn't have walls, and then it's another thing to renovate a bathroom that does have walls. (laughs) No, it's this, it was this tiny two-bedroom late 1800s townhouse. Oh, cute. Okay. We initially drafted up floor plans for the upstairs. We were like, okay, so there'll be a landing and two bedrooms and a bathroom with doors shared to both. It was like, okay, but that's not how we're going to use the house. So why do we do it that way? So we've completely shifted it. So it's going to be a large open landing Mm -hmm. with just the one like properly enclosed bedroom. Right. And then the bathroom is just going to have the one door, which gives us so much more usable space in the bathroom. Right. Okay. I like this plan. And it's, it feels awesome being up there. So, so far, we have basically just finished all the upstairs walls. Nice. Um, except for the bathroom, there's some vapor barrier stuff we have to figure out because it turns out you don't want wet in wall. No. Really? Like wet, wet in wall bad. Okay. Hmm. That doesn't sound right. But, I, don't, I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm so, not convinced myself, but yeah, you know. So vapor barrier in the bathroom what else what's going on and we're putting the ceilings in up there okay and the question i've been asking my mom about it so far has are there floors mm-hmm. and the answer now is finally yes there are floors now granted it is a pile of raw material that will become floor so that's a to-do item for me in the future but but the floor is there and that is a huge step that is very recent that there are floors there that's great very excited for floors <laughs> It's not, a, it's not a sentence you hear every day, but yeah, I can understand. So are you guys doing like, um, are you doing wood floors? Like, uh, like hardwoods? we were going to, we wanted to do wideboard pine flooring. Of course. Cause that's gorgeous. And we got yeah. a bunch of quotes and it was going to be twice as much as a reasonable laminate. Ugh. And unfortunately we couldn't justify it. No. Yeah. I get that. I get that. It's like one of those things that. Like, you need to have the budget for floors. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just not worth it to double it unless you're, like, going in. You're, like, absolutely making the budget about this. We have to have it. Like, that's not, yeah, that's not something you can just, like, decide to upgrade. Because, like, at some level, you need to keep in mind, like, what the house is worth to sell it. And if you put in too much into the house, it makes it really nice for you, but eventually you want to sell it and get some amount back and it's like it's tough yeah because like the idea with them buying this house like us being able to live in it's great but really it's because my grandmother's getting older Mm -hmm. and they want to have somewhere for her to land um when she's not necessarily able to be as independent as she is right now right and so like we're putting in a um how do you call it um a downstairs bathroom with the shower where it's like level with the tub there's no like lip yeah i know what you're talking about um oh goodness i follow some i followed someone on instagram who did this 
There's a term for it. Anyway, I know what you're talking about. It's like there's no lip. You can roll a wheelchair into it if you need to. Yeah. Yeah. But like because of sort of the nature of it, like it's not going to be a permanent home for us probably. Yeah. So like we do need to keep in mind um, selling it again, which means that any of the renovations we do, we have to keep in mind that we have to put in an amount appropriate to the budget. So, yeah, laminate upstairs. It does look nice. Um, I I had input on selecting the flooring. We had a bunch of samples there earlier this week, and I got to look at them and pick the one that was good. And it, it's interesting. Like, it's hard to put a finger on it. Like, some of the samples you looked at, it was like, I don't know why, but that looks like not wood. Yeah. That looks like it's fake. Mm-hmm. I have had this experience, too. Yeah. Um, even just like in the hardware store, if you're like looking at all the samples next to each mm-hmm. other, you're like that one, who would buy that one? Because it doesn't, doesn't even look right. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. but it's like, it, it's weird too. Cause like you look at it and you're like, well, the details look right. And like the texture looks right. And like, it feels reasonable, but like it can still just not be right. It's amazing how perceptive or how how clearly some of those things stand out even when it's such a subtle difference. Yeah. The ones I'm all thinking of, like as I'm, as I'm trying to picture this are like kind of reddish, like they're not cherry reddish, but they end up like fake cedar reddish. And Mm. I think that's what usually tips me over into thinking they look fake, but that's not the only thing that can do that. But that's just what my brain is thinking. Yeah. These ones are more of like a kind of a cooler wood tone. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah. oh, well, we're not putting that in the house, so it doesn't matter. It does not matter. But that's that's awesome. And I think, like, I think some people don't like it, but I think everybody needs to live through at least one renovation just so you know what goes into one, just a single one. <laughs> like, just, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Any piece. Um, so that's, it's- Yeah. It runs in the family. I know my dad's folks renovated their place when my dad was a kid. And then mm-hmm. I know my dad renovated our house when I was a kid. Now here I am <laughs> renovating a house with him again. Yeah. So here we are. It's so satisfying to see the fruits of your labor. Like there's a rocking chair upstairs by the window and sitting in it as it starts to feel more and more like a real home is just the most satisfying thing. That sounds but so nice. damn, it's a lot of work. Oh, yeah, absolutely a lot of work, especially if you're doing a lot of the labor yourself. Like, if you're DIYing mm-hmm. a lot of it, that's that's rough. Um, Like, it's, it's satisfying, but it's exhausting. It really is. Yeah. And, but it's this cute little town on the St. Lawrence River, and <gasps> every day when we're done cooling off now but it's it's been new york summer and we've been finishing up on the house changing into swimsuits walking to the town park and jumping in the river oh my gosh i love that that sounds so fun that's awesome it's so good <laughs> it's it's the best way to cool off after after a lot of work it's so good especially I'm because you're yeah you're like you're north so the water stays mostly cool like mm-hmm yeah. And it's been cooler at nights. So it's been cooling off. Um, the water temperature has been cooling off relative to the air, especially during the day faster than you might expect. So it's like every time you get in the river, it's like it's a little chillier. Burr. Woo. Yeah. But Ugh. I'm jealous. But it's worth it. It's so good. Can you tell that I'm jealous? <laughs> I'm just like thinking <laughs> of like jumping in the nearest thing of water and it's like the dirty, disgusting pond. No punny. Other than having to do a whole bunch of, you know, work at my day job and then work at the house. I'm living such a wonderful life right now. Like, yeah, I am enjoying New York summer with my daily entourage of foxes and raccoons and chipmunks and birds. And I am swimming in the river and I am seeing my family and I'm getting out and doing things. And we are seeing live music at um, the brewery, which is for whatever reason, it's all 70s and 80s cover bands up here. Literally, that's what it is. But I guess that's sort of the clientele of a tourist town. All right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, do you? 
I guess maybe they do that because everybody seems to know all the words to 70s and 80s songs that get covered. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, Something why appeal? Like that. Hmm. <laughs> but that sounds awesome. So have you have you had a lot of downtime or has it just been like, go, go, go? Oh, goodness. Objectively, I've had a bunch of downtime. Like, I've found time to go to the brewery. I've found time to go swim in the river. I found time to just chill on the couch and watch Lost. Oh, yeah. We need to talk about that. <laughs> we need to talk about that. Oh, my God, that show. <laughs> Subjectively, oh, there's a lot going on. Yeah. It, it feels like, I mean, like, you're having this great, like, New York summer, right? But you're also, like you said, working a full-time job, doing renovation, and trying to see your family and do all those things because summer's almost over. And I don't know if any of our listeners know this, Izzy, but um, upstate New York up near Canada gets like a lot of snow, like a lot. Like it's coming you know, for you. <laughs> we're too far north for most of the snow. Wait, really? <gasps> yeah, most of the lake effect snow goes south of us. Okay, so that's So nice. it gets bitter cold and the wind will whip off the river. But it won't be that snowy. Okay. That might be a little bit better. Uh, nah. See, I don't, I don't think I can one. trade snow for wind. <laughs> I, I like snow. I like snow too. <laughs> Not, I'm, I am thankful with the winter coming up that my job is remote and I do not have to commute in it. Yeah, that's fair. But, yeah. but I do like snow. It's very pretty. That's we'll good. get enough of it to see that. That's good. Oh, so excited for you. We never get snow. I'm jealous. Okay, I shouldn't say never. Got, <laughs> the thing we got just the once, and which I would love to see again, is the wind must have been just right or something, but the river froze and the lake froze. And um, when a big body of water freezes like that, obviously the water under it's still moving. And so the ice cracks. Right. And something about the wind that year pushed these foot-thick sheets of ice, you know, maybe a six-foot by six-foot square of foot-thick ice into piles. And they would slide over each other up onto the shore and create these monoliths of ice. And the sun would hit them and glow through them. And it was just the most beautiful thing. And this must have been 10 years ago I saw this, and I've never seen anything like it since. Was it in 2012? That's plausible. What it, was in 2012? Snowmageddon. It was that gigantic snowstorm that hit the East Coast that, like, down in Atlanta, oh. Georgia, a bunch of cars caught on fire because they didn't know how to drive <laughs> yeah, I in remember the snow. That. I'm was, wondering. <laughs> that was south of us. We were too far north for that because we're too far north for snow. Right. So I'm just wondering if like that weather system brought enough of the wind from the snowstorm to make that happen. But I don't, I don't know. I'm just guessing because I'm like, if it was about 10 years ago, that was also the time that we had like huge ice storms. And I'm just like trying to reason out <laughs> when this was. But anyway, I digress. So that's where I've been at. <laughs> but I've been mostly in the you know, doing labor, the physical side of things. Maddie, I don't think that's quite where you're at right now. What have you been up to recently? Well, um, other than also watching Lost, just by sheer coincidence, um, yeah, I've been not doing as much physical labor. Not because I don't want to. Like, I'm still... Let's put it this way. I've gone down to the pond. I've, I've done some of that physical labor, but we also down where I am, have hit the allergy season where, like, I may lay on the couch for three days straight with a migraine because they're getting that Ooh. bad. So I've been trying not to, like, douse myself in pollen because it, it's like yeah. it's like pollen season and mold season, and we're starting to get our winter slash fall rains early, which is scary because it means that you know the climate's changing you know all that stuff but we're getting a lot of rains we're getting a lot of mold and i'm allergic to mold and then the bugs are running away from the rain and i'm allergic to some of the bugs and then there's like um some veggie garden funguses that i'm allergic to it's like it's the season for all of the allergies like um that's brutal I, yeah so migraines I've been, are just the worst 
They are. And mine get triggered if my allergies go unchecked for too long. Mm. Like I'm on a lot of allergy medication and I, and I have a lot of like preventative stuff that I do, but sometimes it's just too much. And my brain goes, Mm -hmm. nope, we're on the couch or um, no, we can be doing all of the right things. Like my triggers are often like not enough sleep or not eating enough or drinking enough. And it's like, I can be doing it all right. And I'll still get one every so often. Yep. Same. I recently learned the technical term for the migraine hangover is a post drum. What? Really? That's the name for it? (laughs) Yeah. Where after the migraine, you're still laid up on the couch for a day. Yeah. Um, Usually I'm just like super wiped tired from it, but my most recent one left me with a headache and nausea for like a full day after the the main migraine happened. And that was just special. That's brutal. I don't think I've ever had one that bad. I definitely have been like the, I've had the migraine and then the next day I'm still just completely wiped. And oh yeah, I don't know what kind of evolutionary ridiculousness migraines come out of, but if they could just stop, that would be great. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I've like been trying. File a complaint. Yes. May I speak to the manager of migraines? Yes, please. (laughs) Why do I get so many? Anyway. (laughs) But you've been avoiding the pollen. What have you been doing instead? Um, So I have been doing a lot of brain work. Um, And oh, I I wanted to say like today I spent the morning, like the full morning outside because our veggie beds have like officially become too brittle. They're starting to like break apart because they're wood. So I ordered some metal like screw together beds. So I spent the morning putting one together. I've got another one to put together tomorrow. So like I am still doing physical labor, but it's a new thing. Like it just happened. So we can talk about it more next time. Um, I I saw the photo you posted. They look really good. They do look really good, don't they? I I love the brand so far. I'm hoping that they hold up well. And my idea is that like when we move, we could take them apart and take them with us because they're supposed to last for decades, you know, and I'm weird in the suburbs for wanting a huge veggie garden, you know, like (laughs) shouldn't be, but we are. Yeah. So like if we need to sell the house and they don't want a veggie garden, I'm taking those things with me. But anyway, so most of what I've been doing is dealing with brain stuff. And when I say that, I mean, I've been overwhelmed by information lately And, like, I need to specify that it's, like, information because normally I get overwhelmed by my task list and I'm not. Like, I have a lot of things on my task list, but none of them are urgent, so none of them are overwhelming me, right? Like, I'm not rushing to finish things. What I'm, like, getting overwhelmed by is, like, I've been consuming a lot of, like, books and, like, podcasts and TV shows and all this stuff. And it's, like, I have all of these thoughts coming into my brain and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I should remember that. And then I don't write it down. And then three months later, I'm like, what was that thing? And I can't remember. Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, And I think part of this is coming from I am one of those people who never really learned how to take effective notes. Like, I didn't take notes to write down things like how do I put this? I, I wrote notes to study. Like, but I would copy things out of the textbook to learn them. But I didn't take notes to keep track of those things. Like, I would throw my, my notebooks yeah, away. Yeah, no, to frame this um, how Paulo Freire would, it's like, there's the banking model of education. And this sounds like the banking model of notes. So in the banking model of education, the idea is that teachers will basically present an idea to a student as fully complete and then expect the student to recite that idea fully complete back to them to prove that they understand it, quote unquote, which is not necessarily exactly what you want unless what you want is parroting information. And what it sounds sort of like, and my impression from, you know, having taken notes in the same style myself growing up, because the banking style of education would sort of necessarily has you take banking style notes Yep, is that you copy verbatim the idea out of the book, even if you reword it, like just copying the idea isn't useful in and of itself. 
it's not thinking, it's just copying. And that's right. what I did for a really long time. And it's it's what I did too. And I continued on that path like up until recently because like, you know, I would read like a book that was teaching something, even like, you know, it could be about some random like historical event or you know, the one that p- comes to mind is like the archaeological evidence for the Indo-European, uh, proto-Indo-European people, you know, mm. like anyway, mm-hmm. I don't remember the name of the book. I'm sure I've said it before on this podcast. I'll remember it for the show notes. Should anyway, have taken a note. I should, I should have taken a note. It's on my phone. So I, I, I know I'll find the name of it. It's just like, it's escaped me. Um, which is a totally normal thing for brains to do, right? Like, Brains don't remember things very well. Like, we're better at recognition than memory. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to rephrase that. But anyway, so, like, I would take notes like that, even for my own self, wanting to learn something, and then, like, have to reread the book six months later to remember what I needed to remember. This is what this is why I've read Atomic Habits so many times because it has a lot of good information, right? And so I would take notes in the banking style and then 6 months later forget it because A, I forgot where I put the notes and B, like I wasn't actually learning it, I was just copying it. Mhm. Right? So um I decided to try to tackle this because I am a person who loves information and I feel like you're also the type of person who loves information like I like to learn things. Like, I like to just, like, go on Wikipedia and hit the random button and have fun for, like, six hours. Um, oh, it's been a while since I've done that. I should do You that. should do it again. It's great. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. I know that you're this type of person. So I decided to try, try to tackle that because, like, the solution isn't less information for me. It's better organization of my information or, like, mm-hmm. offloading my information somewhere else so it's not, like overwhelming my brain um and so i decided to you know get into note taking and i've been in and out of obsidian for a while and i was like don't really know if that's going to work for me why don't i read this book i've been hearing about and it's called building a second brain it's be uh it's by tiago forte i think i'm saying his name right um and I actually, this is hilarious, I mixed it up with a second book called The Extended Mind. And that one is written about the psychology of how we think, like the psychiatry, psychology, neuroscience of like how we think. And then building a second brain is like the practical applications of like memory. So like, I don't know how I mixed them up, but I bought both at the same time. You want how to, uh, building a second brain, that's what you want. <laughs> um, Sounds like I might want both. Yeah, you can want both, but if you're doing if you're doing the how, go for the you know the practical one. Um, so I started there, and it's got a lot of great information. You know, it talks about we're better at recognition than recall, um, and things like uh, you know how like I don't know if you've experienced this before, but brains will adapt to tool usage. So if you use like one of those claw mm-hmm. picker upper things, like hand, ex- I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's like a, it's like an extension of your arm and you an like extension grubber. Yeah. That thing. And you use it to like pick up trash or like pick up things on tall shelves or things like that. Like if you use any of those, your brain actually like starts to recognize it at a certain point as part of you. So he talks about all of that, like, cool stuff in the beginning to like introduce you to the reasons why you should consider offloading your thinking via note-taking to what he calls a second brain. And by that, he means like a digital system for storing information Mm -hmm. and using that digital system to augment your thinking. And it's hard to summarize because it's a huge topic, but I ran into when he got to his implementation, he was talking about doing like four folders maximum. And it was like projects, areas, resources or references, and then archive. And I was like, dude, I've got like 20 projects going at a time. And I've got at least 10 areas, mm-hmm. not even counting if you talk about like under personal, I would put house and car and my partner and my dogs like 
we're not even talking about nested areas. We're just talking about straight up areas. I've got at least 10. (laughs) And I was like, your style of organization doesn't seem like it's going to work for me. But I like what you're saying about like, what to take notes of when to process notes, what to you know what I mean? Like, I, I liked all of that except his organization. And the word Zettelkasten has been thrown around by us a couple of times. So I decided it's a good to, word. It's very it is, German. It's very because German. It is German. Yes. <laughs> it's been mentioned and I have tried looking into it before, but I was never in a place where I actually wanted to do it. And um I just looked this up and it's been a month since I went down that rabbit hole and I'm still in the Zettelkast and rabbit hole. Mm, that's a deep rabbit hole. It's a good rabbit hole. It's a deep rabbit hole. It's been a month. Um and it's working. I'm I'm in Obsidian now. I've been offloading my thinking. And like, I'm still a little overwhelmed because one of the things that's part of like the second brain Zettelkasten system is like, if you read something interesting, taking notes on it, and then processing those notes through like a couple layers of like, depth. Mm-hmm. And I decided to go into my reading list and like do that for all of them. And I had like 500 links in my reading list. (laughs) Like, so I'm, I'm still a little overwhelmed, but that's because I just, I like, I made the decision to get it all done at the start. You know, I was like, I want to get through this reading list. Let's do it. And that was like both a good decision and an overwhelming one. So I'm overwhelmed in that respect, but like I've been offloading my thinking at the same time so it's like there's a there's now a big task list that's overwhelming me and not information anymore so it's like i swapped problems but it's going well and i think settlecasting is working for me it might cool. be a little fiddly like because there are people who do settlecasting i i think izzy you've gone down this rabbit hole right mm-hmm. there are people who do settlecasting who are like don't ever do folders i cannot do that i think with all of these things, like with building a second brain and with Zettelcast and either how Ludwig, what's his name that I used to know offhand, um, did it versus any of the modern implementations is everyone makes a set of decisions about what works for them. And then they go on the internet and they present it as truth. Yes. And, and what's interesting is when they identify that they've made a decision and their reasoning Because it's often useful to ask yourself the same question, even if you don't come up with the same answer. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Like books like this, they're so useful, not because you want to copy their system, because their system will never work for you. But because you want to figure out the questions that they're asking to build that system in the first place and how it evolved over time and what mistakes they made along the way that you might want to avoid. Yes. And in fact, Tiago Forte in the book is like, you may take parts of this, you may not use any of it, but this is what I do. And like, yeah, he's very aware that his system doesn't work for everyone. And I was like, yeah, your projects, areas, whatever does not work for me. I cannot do that because I have too many aspects of myself. Um, And then the Zettelkast and people are like, you should absolutely never do folders because doing folders is like, too much upfront thinking. And I'm like, dude, all I need to know is whether this note applies to my writing career or my podcasting one. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the level of folder I need just so I'm not looking at the podcasting notes when I'm looking for my writing notes. Like that's all I need. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I've been doing that. And one of the things that um, was super interesting to me is learning. So Richard Feynman, physicist and writer and all that, had this theory on how to make connections across areas, right? And, like, that's something that I've always been interested in. You know, we talk about this all the time. It's, like, one of the aspects of creativity I love. Like, connecting different ideas. Yeah. Is Richard and Lost named after Richard Feynman? I don't know. I'm only in the middle of season six, so I don't know where he came from. Okay. Let's revisit that. Season six? Oh, we have been watching it literally every day. Like, four hours. Yeah, it's... I'm so glad I'm not watching it when it was on network TV. Me too, because it's so cliffhangery. Anyway. Yep. Anyways. (laughs) Popping the stack. (laughs) 
back to notes. Uh, Richard Feynman, he, there are some problematic aspects of his history, but one of the things that he talked about um, when discussing like creativity and how he was able to solve like problems in physics by using like random ideas he came across elsewhere in the world talked about how he like kind of just kept in the back of his brain, like his favorite questions and how he wanted to answer him, answer them. And he had 12 that he always used to kind of like, is this information useful for me? Does it answer in part or like wholly any one of my questions? And so that's how he would process stuff. And I decided to try to do that myself. So I came up with like questions that I've always had, like that have always been like running my life. And it's like things like, like um, I've got them up on a whiteboard that's above my computer. So I'm looking up to read them. It's like, how can I be creative amidst my own chaos? And chaos in this case is not a bad thing. I love my chaos, but it's like, how do I channel the chaos into creativity? That is one of my ever, like ever interesting questions, you know? And so I just put these in my Zettelkasten system and it's kind of helping me like filter what I read. And it's nice. That's a really so, yeah. cool idea. Right? And yeah, so it's it's super fun. And um, I started it a month ago. And like I said, I'm still overwhelmed. But that's also because I keep adding things to the pile to take notes on. Like, for example, and this is going to be my transition. I started rereading Refuse to Choose. Um, <laughs> Did you? Before we jump into the yeah. book, I actually... I'm wondering, like, it's interesting to me that you're doing a lot of the note-taking up front because I tend to sort of backload my note-taking where I tend to read things twice. Where the Mm -hmm. first time I'm reading it, I'm not actively taking notes on it. I'm more perusing it for what ideas the author has to offer And then the note I'll take on it will just be like, here's the book and here's the sort of ideas it talks about. But I'm not going to take notes. I'm not going to bank the ideas myself. They're in the book. Right. And then when I actually have a project in mind, like say I'm giving some talk on um, maybe, you know, communism. Yeah. That's a thing I do. Then for whatever thing I'm talking about, I'll be able to have a sense of which of the sources I have that are relevant. And at that point, I'll go back to them and I'll give them a much more close reading where I will do my sort of banking style note. But the point of that isn't the banking style note. It's the next step, which is the synthesis. Some of you may recall year of synthesis uh, (laughs) where I take those ideas from that and identify which ones I care about, which questions I have about them, and really try to engage with the ideas as dialogue into the final thing I'm making. So I'm not like, when I find a book I'm interested in trying to like create my notes on it as I go, like maybe if there's something that really catches me, I might add it then, but I'm not specifically trying to do that. So much as when I actually then have a project, I create those notes and then they remain there and useful for the next thing I do. And I've personally found this a little less overwhelming than trying to like tell myself that I'm going to read this book and take the notes on it. And even like, say I've read a book and I find it really engaging and interesting then to be like, I'm going to make these notes, but not for any purpose is like tough. Like that's a lot of, that's a lot of front loading of the cost. It's much easier for me if I have something specific then in mind for to go back and um, revisit it and pull out those parts and have those questions in mind. I absolutely understand where you're coming from. And so I think I should go through my process because I think I'm neither doing front loading nor back loading, or I'm kind of doing both. Um, so at least with my reading list, um, so I've got it all moved into an app called matter, which, I chose because our friend Majd told me it can sync my highlights of those articles that I'm reading to Obsidian, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I basically like moved my entire reading list into an app where I'm slowly like as those as those articles are catching my eye, like instead of going on Reddit or Twitter at night or like whatever. 
I don't even do that anymore. Um, instead of like going out looking for information, what I'll do is I'll pull open my read it later app, which is matter now and say, like, okay, let me just scroll through this. Is any of this interesting? And so like last night, for example, I read an article about um, seismic activity and a new way to like measure earthquakes. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a project about earthquakes. I don't, I don't need to know anything about earthquakes right now. But what I did was as I was reading the article, if anything like struck me as interesting, I was just like, let me just highlight that because it'll end up in a Gotcha. Right. And then, and then when I'm like next need that information. So no, <laughs> here's where I get into the, like, I'm kind of front loading, kind of back loading. Once it gets into Obsidian, it gets put into a single folder with all of the highlights. And I just, that's just too much chaos for me. Like, I know I can Mm -hmm. search for those things, but I also don't want to just have the highlights. I want to transfer it immediately as like rewording what I learned. So Mm -hmm. I can say like, here's a new technique to measure earthquakes. And it's about the, um, I don't know how to explain it because I haven't yet synthesized this note. But anyways, I'm doing the synthesis of just the highlights, right? And I'm just turning them into my own words. And it's still banking notes. You know what I mean? It's not Mm -hmm. like I haven't asked any questions. I'm just saying, this is what I highlighted. This is me turning it into my own words. So it's not like a disembodied quote. It's like, this scientist researched this thing about earthquakes from this university and i just like turn it into a factual sentence the next time i need to know that thing about earthquakes i will search earthquakes and i will be like all right here are all my notes about earthquakes here's what i'm going to pull from all of these sources about earthquakes and turn into my own little info so it's like i'm doing the bank noting on articles at the front and I'm doing the synthesis of ideas when I need them. That makes sense. That's more similar to what I'm doing. Because, like, yeah. I work a lot more with books than articles. Or the articles I read are more, like, literature essays or yeah. more philosophical in nature. So I'll tend to highlight them as I do that first reading. But I won't then try to transfer those highlights into my notes. And the note that I will create is more of like for that earthquakes one I would have like here's the article to talk about earthquakes I might mention the scientist's name and I might mention like a couple of key terms from it so I can find it again yeah yeah so it seems like it seems like we're kind of on the same page I am going to lean on your method for books Mm -hmm. where I read it first without highlighting because I realized that if I do my first pass highlighting I highlight the entire book because I'm like, oh, look at all these interesting ideas. And it's like, they aren't actually that interesting. It's just that it's a new idea. So my brain's like, you need to highlight that. I've gotten better at that. And one of the differences that sort of changed my thinking on that is I'm not highlighting things I find interesting. I'm highlighting as sort of a reference to say that this is an area of the book that is going to be relevant to me later. And so like, if I might highlight a whole section, I'm just going to highlight the part of it, the sort of the entry point. Because when I eventually come back to it, no matter what I highlight, I'm not going to have highlighted the perfect thing for what I need to know. I'm never going to pull out the specific ideas from the book ahead of time for something that I don't know I'm going to write yet. So rather I'd like to have like, when I do know what I want to do, just the spot to go look. Because there's always going to be related ideas and thoughts in there that may or may not be relevant. I'm not going to be able to judge that until I have something in mind. Yeah, and that's fair. That's fair. But of course, a lot of what I'm doing is much more philosophical. Because it's it's different when you're writing fiction, I think. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's different when you're writing fiction and like... I'm not always writing fiction. Sometimes I'm also like highlighting articles about this is a technique you can use to do like French seams on Mm -hmm. or like um, French seams on a blouse or something like that. And then or like uh, low sensory input seaming for sewing, you know, like I'm just highlighting like this article Mm -hmm. has some techniques for making sure that tags don't bug you if you're like sensitive to that, you know, like things like that. Like I, 
I won't highlight those in the same way I would a science article. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't highlight things like for doing my garden in the same way that I would for like that earthquake article, like that earthquake article. I want the scientist's name, but for like my garden, it's like, here are some companion plants for tomatoes. I'm just going to say, this is the companion plants for tomatoes section. And I'm going to go back to the original article. Cause why would I copy that list over? Like, and like, I keep a lot of my like hobby notes, like kind of separately or mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Like I tend to use the Zettelkast and for the more heady stuff. And then just like for hobby things, it's usually more like a reference information or stuff where I'm not actually going to do much more synthesis beyond like the actual application into craft. Yeah. Which being a physical three-dimensional thing often doesn't really fit into the computer as well. <laughs> yeah. And that's fair. That's fair. A lot of like, so a lot of my hobbies end up being like, well, it's not even a hobby writing books like a lot of my research in the past has been like mythologies because that's relevant to the the book i just finished Mm -hmm. like various mythologies across the world so like i have to take notes on that because i don't want to accidentally spell a god's name wrong from a mythology that is not mine (laughs) like I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to like, you know what I mean? That stuff needs to be saved somewhere. And it's like, paper is not good enough for that. Like we have thousands of Wikipedia articles about mythologies because they're complicated and they vary mm-hmm. by city state. Like, <laughs> like the guy five miles away from you might not believe the same things about Zeus that you do. Like that's like, that's the level of detail we're talking. <laughs> um, I don't know. The, the Zeus I believe in is exactly correct. Yes. Duh. Because we're right. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so I've been doing I've been doing the Zettelcast and, and so a lot of my hobbies end up in there because it's like I want to be able to reference like I read this article on seamwork.org uh, that was about, you know, X, Y, or Z. And yeah, stuff like that. Um but yeah, I started rereading Refuse to Choose. So w- we like popped the stack again i started reading it again because i wanted to like one i've been thinking it's time to reread it again because um i've got a lot of projects going right and this will be the first time i've read it since i got diagnosed with adhd and have been have been medicated and like my brain works different on medication so i was like this will be good to see if anything else jumps out at me and then um a couple other people that I know wanted to read it and like do the activities together. Cause for them, they needed like accountability buddies <laughs> and that's fair. So I started it and I have started doing some of the exercises and I finished it cover to cover. And it is one of the books that I highlighted most of for my notes, which is a problem because you know, there are highlight limits. Like you can't export more than 10% of a book and I hit that limit really fast. <laughs> so I need to, I need to work That's on my where I thought you were going with that. Um, I think I got sidetracked. Honestly, I'm getting a little distracted because Belle has just come into the room and put her head on my knee. So podcast um, friends who are listening, say hi to Belle. Um, Belle, I was just do not climb like, on me. <laughs> you know that quote from The Incredibles? If everyone is super, no one is. It's yes. like if everything is highlighted, nothing is. That's where I yes. thought you were going with that. <laughs> oh, it's also, true. Yes, technology says copyright is a thing and we will enforce it. Yeah, and it's it's like, I just want to be like, yo, I don't care about how she phrased this. I just want the whole paragraph because she's describing how to do mm-hmm. a, like, like an exercise. And she's long-winded, so give me the whole thing. And then Amazon, because I'm still on Amazon, Amazon's like, you can't export quotes that long and i'm like you know what Shh. <laughs> like i just want i just want the exercise so i've had to do some editing there but anyway reviews to choose still empowering um and fun and some of the ideas are definitely out of touch because it was written in the early 2000s and others are self-explanatory to me because i've experienced them so many times but it was nice to do the reset and it was nice to like rethink things and i was right different things did jump out at me um, and one of those things was that I didn't realize on my f- first couple of read-throughs that um, 
Barbara Sher, she recommends picking one project to like see through to the end. Interesting. I don't remember reading that the first couple of times. Yeah, it's it's been a hot minute, but my recollection was that she also suggested like being okay giving up on projects. And I don't remember her specifically saying to put all of your energy in. To like yes. one and not like Was that That, like, w- that was my same one specific like how she says it type of scanner or was that a general piece of advice she was giving? Cause I know some of the pieces of things she talks about are like having different stations for the different things you do in a given day. Right. Yes. And that feels like it contradicts that. Exactly. That is what I was thinking of. Like the, the stations that you're talking about, she calls them avocation stations and you're supposed to have everything you need for each project in each area set up so that if you have two minutes, you can spend two minutes on that project. And that's something that I want to implement. Like I want to have my projects set up so that I can do them because a lot of my resistance to doing things comes from everything's away right now and I have to get it out and I have to get it set up. And by the time I do Mm -hmm. that, it'll be almost time to be done. Like, (laughs) so that's something I want to do. But at the end of the book, she talks about picking one of your projects and actually finishing it like figure like doing a project from start to finish it can be anything but she wants you to try and finish and the reason she does this is because like it'll give you practice like finishing things in a way that you can show to other people and she had some other reasonings as well and she like talked about like setting real deadlines and like having accountability people and like when you're done display it and you can say to people like i did this thing and okay so she's not like saying to do this for every project just a project yeah she says it might be like every six months it might be every six years you're going to run into a project that you desperately want to finish and i want you to do it like i want you to desperately like finish it because one of the things in refuse to choose that you're right she talks about like Sometimes the projects that you start and don't finish only look unfinished to other people. Like maybe you started that project with a different end goal in mind. Like, for example, like if you wanted to just like experience how to crochet and you decided to make a blanket, but you only did a couple blocks of that blanket, you know, and then you abandoned it, maybe you didn't want a blanket. Maybe you just wanted to know how crochet worked. Sure. Like, yeah, that's like an example. And like other things are like, um, I'm trying to think like a lot of people would be like, Oh, I dove into like tax law for six months to help my parents figure out some retirement thing. And then as soon as that problem was resolved, like I stopped caring about it. And it's like, yeah. Cause you didn't want to be into tax law. You just wanted to help your parents. So a lot of the book is like reframing the not finished stuff. And then when I read it this time, the the finishing something stuck out to me, like actually yeah. like completing it. I just, it it was weird to see that this time and not like have it not register the last couple of times. I don't know why That's it didn't. Interesting. How yeah. do you feel about it? I mean, like, how do you I feel, feel about picking something to finish? Have you picked something to finish? Um, I haven't because I already did finish something recently, and you know I did. I finished writing my book. Hell yeah, you did. Hell yeah, I did. And it's like, that's not something that I had done before reading Refuse to Choose. Like, I mean, I finished books when I was in, like, middle school and high school, but, like, setting out to write a book that I would get published, I haven't done that until now. Like, you know, I've done NaNo. And that tech, like technically one NaNoWriMo, but mm-hmm. yeah, so I've recently like finished a big project and it, it took me a long time. It took me multiple years. Like I started it in 20, 2019. So it's been, that it's been three years. years yeah. yeah. It's, it's been three years and I, I didn't quit. I didn't say I'm done with this project. And in fact, I'm planning sequels to it. So it's like, it's not truly finished. But like, I got to a point where I can say I did this thing to a point that like, anybody could say that I finished it. You gave it to other people to read. 
I gave it to other people to read. Yes. And um, they have given it back to me with edits suggestions. And I'm like working on those edit suggestions. I was really anxious about it, but I'm doing it. You only panicked a little bit. It was great. Yes, I only panicked a little bit. The reason I panicked is, is he up until now? I've been really bad with criticism on my writing. <laughs> like, mm. like, you know, like it feels like an attack on on you when someone says your writing is bad, which by the yes. way, none of my beta readers said my writing was bad. They just like said like, hey, you have a lot of characters with a lot of names and it's really hard to keep track of the names. It's like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Yeah. It, I mean, it's like in software where we have pull requests and it's expected that every single piece of code I write will be perfectly scrutinized and comments like out the wazoo. And it's like, just once I would like to have something where it's like, no notes. Yes. Just, just once, just once. So I was able to handle the criticism. The reason I got like panicky was because like, I hadn't read all the feedback as it came in. Like I let it pile up and I, I hadn't faced it all. And I was like, what if there's something really bad in there? <laughs> you know? So that was my panic moment. <laughs> but so like the fact that refused to choose, like focused on you should try to finish something. And like, I felt proud, like in a different way that I finished something. You know, like I was already proud that I finished the book, but after reading that section and being like, oh my goodness, I did this. Like after using some of the techniques from the book and also getting medicated for ADHD, I was able to finish something and in a way that other people could say I could, like I finished it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I just want to say, like, again, she talked about them. They could be as small as like cleaning out your closet or like as big as writing a book. She was just like, you just need to pick something and take it from start to finish just so you know you can. And I want you to do this every once in a while. And so like the fact that that exercise stuck out to me and I was like, oh, I've done that was like really interesting. So yeah, that's what I've got to say about Refuse to Choose so far. I'm still doing some of the exercises. Like I read it from cover to cover in a couple days and didn't stop to do the exercises because... I've read it a couple times and like mm-hmm. done the exercises. Um, I know when I read it, I only did the exercises that like stood out to me. I didn't yeah. do all of them. Yeah. And that's fair. Um, I do want to go back and like try and make a place to like, st- like display what I've done because one of the things that my brain struggles with is remembering what I've done. Mm-hmm. I don't know if your brain does this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Out of, so, like, out of mind. Yeah. So it'll be like, did I do anything in 2020? And it's like, I can't remember a single thing that I did. I survived like, the COVID-19 pandemic. That counts. Well, that does count. Yeah. But it's like, I also, like, if I think about it for more than a minute, can remember some things I did, but I don't display them anywhere and I don't see them every mm-hmm. day. So, like, I forget that I've accomplished things. It's so, like, I want to do one of those exercises and I want to set up some stations. And one thing, now that I've got you know, my ADHD is starting to get under control. I want to try and limit myself to, I'm um, in refuse to choose parlance. I am a Sybil, which is someone who needs like that school day schedule you were talking about, where like yes. you do 10 things in one day. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like that. But what I want to do is I want to be doing one project in each of those areas maximum. So like I should not have two knitting projects on the go at the same time. I should not have two coding projects on like on the go at the same time. One writing project, one like as I'm and by project, I mean a small piece because um, like while people are reading a beta version of my book, I need to be starting thinking about the next one. You know what I mean? Like I do have to do that kind of editing. Yeah. Like those are things that I need to think about and figure out. And now that my ADHD is under control, I think I might be able to do that. Like I used to not be able to do that. I would, I would start six coding projects and not one. And I need to just kind of like figure out how to, you know, silo things. That's where I'm at. I've, I've kind of been playing with that. Like I've got a, I've got a couple projects on the go in various areas, but I don't think I have any like overlap in those areas right now. So I'm excited to see if this works out and we can talk about those projects in the future. I am looking very much forward to it. Me For myself, too. Next time you talk to me, I'll be in a different space. So I'll probably sound different again. Do you Actually, do you know where you're going to be? Is it going to be another house? Is it going to be the new house? 
It won't be the new house. I'm pretty sure I know where it will be. We just need to talk to the person who owns it to sort out the details. A different family friend um, has a place that they just bought, but they haven't moved into it. And they're going down to stay in New York City for the winter. Okay. So we might be able to rent that. And we just need to sort the details. Ooh, that'll be fun. Okay. So you will sound different next time. And I will hopefully have updates on how one project is going. That sounds great to me. It's going to be Sounds fun. great to me, too. Well, this has been Above the Mess. You can find us at AboveTheMess.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram with the username AboveTheMessPod. But honestly, I've given up on trying to make that happen regularly. So you may not see updates there. You can, however, send us follow-up questions or advice via our DMs or our email. And you can find Izzy at Stardust.fm and myself at FlexPotential.com. We'll see you. Uh, well, we won't see you next time. You'll hear us next time. Bye. 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 I lost my train of thought. Also, I ran out of breath because I got so excited that I stopped breathing. So just give me a second. <laughs>